It's wonderful to hear some discussion. And I'm sure that in and through those discussions, you're encouraged to hear the voices of others. And I'd encourage you to continue to have those discussions after church to see where, where in the everyday we can connect with God, not just on a Sunday. One of our, our key foundation statements this year is our faith beyond Sundays, developing our faith that isn't just set what we do on Sunday, but it goes into our week. So, um, yeah, um, I'm glad that we could have that little discussion. I, I wonder if I'd love to pray for Salari and Alan and encourage them into the role, but I wonder if there's any of our, our church leadership here this morning would like to come up um, and just be uh, around them, or anyone that's on the worship team would like to come up and just be a part, whether that's an evening worship team or morning worship team, if you're happy to come up and just surround Alan and Solari while I pray for them, that would be wonderful. So any, any of the people on our leadership, pastors or anyone on the worship team would be fantastic. That's awesome. So let's, let's pray as we commission Solari and Alan into the role of worship leaders. Our Lord and God, we thank you for Alan and Solari. Thank you for that very direct call that you've placed on both of their lives to work together to, to nurture, guide, encourage and equip our uh, Sunday teams to um, help us to connect with you. But Lord, we thank you for the lives that they have that is full of worship, that their life uh, beyond Sunday uh, leads them back into um, serving as this in this role. Lord, I commission them into uh, the space of worship team leaders. May they work alongside one another uh, in a way that edifies you, that grows them up and grows up the team of, of musicians and singers and um, tech people, um, the people that are doing all the sound, the overheads, and out the back as well, doing the streaming. I, I thank you that they have a real heart to see um, uh, this church uh, deepen in their sense of worship. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you protect them, you give them encouragement and enthusiasm as they seek to listen, as they seek to open themselves to what you would like in this space in KSBC. And I pray that as a church, we may gather around them, championing them on, championing them on into, um, into a, a new space of worship for KSBC. So bless them, Lord. Bless them. And we thank you for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, team. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to continue on in a space of prayer um, now as we come to a pastoral prayer. Gracious God, we come before you today with hearts full of gratitude and praise for your unfailing love and mercy. We recognize that we are sinners in need of your forgiveness and grace, and we thank you for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, this morning we confess that we are sinners, and we confess our sins before you and ask for your forgiveness. We acknowledge, Lord, that we've fallen short of your glory and that we've sinned against you and others. Our Lord, help us to live a life that is according to your will. 
God, we thank you for your steadfast love and your promise of redemption. We know that you're a God of mercy and grace, and we trust in you. Lord, this morning we lift up all those who are suffering physically or in their mind or in their spirit. We ask for your healing upon them. Comfort them and grant them peace. We pray for those who are struggling with doubt or are in despair. Strengthen them, Lord. May their faith be growing. Give them hope in the hopeless, seemingly hopeless situations. We pray for our families, our friends. We pray for our communities that we live, that you would guide us in all our interactions, in our relationships, that you would help us to love our neighbour, to love one another as you have first loved us. And Lord, we pray for our world, a world that needs you, a world that is in turmoil, that needs peace. May you bring peace to the nations. May you heal the wounds of war and conflict that are so prevalent in our world. May you bring justice to all people. And Lord, in all these things we pray in your name. Amen. I'm wondering if you would join with me in saying the Lord's Prayer. We're going to have it up on the screen. Um, is that all right, Joe? Have you got that? Um, be my first PowerPoint slide. My first lot of PowerPoint slides. And if you know it, great. If you don't, that's okay. We can have it up later. Um, why don't we say it if you know it, great. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, a couple of announcements um, before we hear our Bible reading for this morning. Um, church tonight at 5.30, please feel free to come along. Um, Jordan is, is preaching. He's preaching on the Holy Spirit, so come along. He's preaching through Acts, which is pretty cool. Uh, next Sunday morning is the start of Daylight Savings, first day of Daylight Savings. I should have worked this out before I got on, up on stage. Do our clocks go backwards or forwards? Backwards. So we get an extra hour of sleep. We do. So you can go to bed an hour later next week. That makes sense. So enjoy that. But if you do not put your clock backwards, you'll be an hour early for church. I think. Well, someone try it and see if you come in an hour late or an hour early. But anyway, um, just, just remember to put your clocks back. <laughs> That'd be good. Um, after Easter, our offering bowls will go around again, so be prepared for that. Uh, we just uh, want to get back into that space of, of having a physical uh, reminder of our offering. And I know many, many of you give online, and thank you for doing that. Uh, please feel free to continue doing that. If you want to start giving online, you can go to our website under the Give um, tab in up the top. Uh, 
on the 4th of April, uh, we're having Harry Thomas's um, Thanksgiving service. Uh, we, are, we are catering as a church. We're catering for that. We'd like to be able to um, bless the family with that. So if you can assist with some catering to help out, uh, can you please see Lorraine Sanderson? That would be really good. Um, and we have our men's breakfast coming up on the 1st of April. That's next Saturday. Please check your care link for more information um, or see Brad after the church uh, out in the foyer or Leon. Um, and they'll be able to tell you how to sign up for that. There's plenty of things that are happening, plenty of things that have been happening. Our notice board has a whole lot of information on it. Please check it out um, or grab a care link. Uh, if you don't get it in your email inbox, uh, let us know. We'll grab your email and we'll put it in. Or you can write it onto one of the cards in the back of the seat and give it in to someone at the end of church. And that would be fantastic. Um, I'm going to invite Narissa forward and she's going to share our Bible reading with us this morning. Thanks, Narissa. Today I'm reading from Psalm 130 and I'm reading from the NIV version. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Marissa. I was, um, I was thinking about uh, something we'll, we'll get up on the screen. If you can flow through to... Uh, the slide of the first image, Joe. Yeah, that's the one. Um, does anyone know what they are? Do you remember them? Yeah, rabbit ears, the old rabbit ears. Does anyone still have a pair at home? Yeah, yeah. Does anyone have it on top of their television? You still, does it work? It does, there you go. There you go. A couple of people still have them on. I couldn't find any in our home. We, couldn't, we didn't have any left. We chucked them all out because everything's gone digital, haven't they? Um, so the old rabbit ear antenna, um, I'm not convinced they worked very well. Uh, the last time I had one, it was just frustrating. It just wouldn't give us the right thing. Um, I thought this one worked just as well. Go to the next slide. <laughs> Did anyone ever do that? Yeah? Oh, the, the one where the coat hanger worked well was on the car. If your antenna in the car wasn't that good, you'd chuck the coat hanger in. Um, if you're maybe under 20, you probably have no idea what we're looking at, are we? <laughs> we, used to be able to, we used to be able to watch television because we had one of these on our television. That's amazing, isn't it? Um, but the thing about these old antennas was they'd, they'd occasionally pick up a good signal. You got it into the right spot, they'd pick up a good signal, most of the time. But you'd have to go and you'd start moving them around and twisting them into the right spaces and flicking the little knob at the front. And I'm never sure that that was the, just would just do nothing. And, and it was either fuzzy most of the time or non-existent. But then again, sometimes you just get this little bit of a connection. Sometimes, if you're lucky, if you're lucky. Um, 
yeah, if you have no idea what I'm talking about in that, you, you probably only live in a digital era. That's fair enough. Or it, also, it probably means I'm getting old. That, that might be another thing. Um, but these old antennas, they were meant to pick up the signal for the television. But there was a blockage a lot of the time. A lot of the time, you just couldn't get it, and all you get is static. I wonder if sometimes it feels for us like the, the rabbit ears of our lives have trouble connecting with God. I wonder if you've ever had the feeling that God sometimes seems so distant that the static never ceases, and you wonder if the connection has been disrupted altogether. Psalm 130 that Nerissa just read to us gives us a hope that when the connection seems disrupted, that we can wait and we can hold on to the hope that God is still there in the midst of it. Let's pray and let's get stuck into the psalm. Now, God, may we this morning hear from your word. May you help us understand it. May we get some clarity through you. May uh, what we hear today be encouraging for us to live out faith beyond Sundays. Amen. Now, the psalmist, he composes this song that is so tangible to many of us. It's a song that may reflect where you sit right now in your faith or where maybe you've come from in faith. And, and though the psalm has this, I suppose, dark overtone, the writer, where the writer can't hear God through this mire or the muck of their own stuff, the psalmist clings to a hope. And it's a hope that makes them wait until once again they will see the glory of God through their situation and the situation of Israel as a whole. The psalm, it can be broken into three stanzas, and we'll look at all three stanzas. First of all, we've got the cry. Then we've got the forgiveness. And then we have this great hope. So let's look into that, the cry. Um, verse 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If we listen to the psalmist's cry, the, the depth of the cry is quite intense. It's quite immense, really, isn't it? The writer seems to have hit a place where it is sort of, I suppose, almost rock bottom. Last week, if you were with us, we looked at Psalm 23, and we, we looked at God sort of leading us by the hand through the, the valley of the shadow of death. God with us through all the experiences, through the, the, the cavern that sort of seems to be closing in on us. But sometimes the depth experiences feels like we just can't see God or the antenna hasn't quite hit the right spot. We might have a, a knowledge that God's with us, but we just don't seem to experience God's love. It was like Thursday morning. Do you remember Thursday morning? Thursday morning, it was a, a normal Thursday morning. Started out all right, and then all of a sudden this happened. Just the dark clouds just descended. It was incredible, really, wasn't it? It just rolled in so quickly, and then the storm hit, and there was thunder, it was lightning, it was loud, the rain was heavy. It was a mess. Did anyone get stuck walking in it? Yes, oh no, no, it was, it was nasty. And when you were in it, you saw the clouds coming. There was no way to see through those clouds. They were just dark. We remember that the sky was blue. 
We don't forget that the sky was blue, but we couldn't see the blue sky. But by 10.30, the sky was blue again. We remember it came back. We could once again see it peeking through, and playgroup was able to be outside, and uh, life went on, and even in the afternoon, it got warm again. But through it, it didn't feel that way. Through it, it was loud, it was scary, it was dark, it was messy. You know, the depths that the psalmist seems to hit as he um, writes Psalm 130, seems like that messiness, the darkness. It sounds like uh, the depths that produce the guttural cries. I wonder when was the last time you had a guttural cry. The cries of someone that just can't see through the murkiness, can't see the way forward. Maybe it's coming from a space of fear or a space of uncertainty or a, a space of worry. Maybe it's not knowing what's next for you. It's the depths that grief brings us to. Depression takes us or poverty can spiral us into. God, I cry out, but I can't hear you. One commentator states the depths refers to any chaotic forces that threaten human life. The threat could be very, very real. It might be just perceived. Yet we can't dismiss the reality of the darkness that is around. We live in a world where the bad news has become the norm. We have become almost desensitized to the bad, so that bad is no longer bad anymore. It's just another level of life. And we'll touch on that in a minute. But the darkness, this pit, this depth is a place that is part of our human life, isn't it? The story of Jonah might sum it up best. He's been stuck in the belly of a beast, swimming at the bottom of the ocean, trapped with no seeming way of escape. Out of the depths, it gives me this, this image of someone sinking into the deep. As they go deeper, the darkness, the darkness gets darker. The louder you cry the less likely your voice is to be heard. We've all been in the pits before, haven't we? we felt what it's like to feel helpless. Maybe you're sitting in that space now, and it just feels yuck. There's no, oh, don't worry, it'll be right. It'll be right, read a couple of Psalms and you'll be okay. That doesn't help. No good-hearted and well-meaning encouragement of Bible verses or ideals of God's goodness is going to help you right now because you just feel like, I can't hear God in it. Maybe you've cried out to the Lord and you've not been able to hear anything in return. The psalmist pleads, and maybe you've pleaded too, let your ear be attentive to my voice, my cry for, for mercy. Maybe you say, you've answered the cries of your people, but you're not answering my cry. Or maybe, maybe you've just stopped crying out altogether. Maybe life's just gone on, and you've just adjusted to life in the depths. Just like our eyes adjust to the darkness over time, perhaps we've become satisfied with what life has dealt us. I read a commentary this week. The depths are at once the place where we need to trust in God 
sorry, the depths of the place we, where we must, where we need to trust in God the most. But it's also the time when doing precisely that is the hardest. We know to cry out to God, but it's a time where it's hardest to do it. Yet in this psalm, we see how the writer agonizingly strains to see God in and through the murkiness of life. I wonder what the the psalmist is talking about when he talks about depths. Uh, Last week, we saw the darkness from the surrounding valleys, the the sort of, I suppose, the the valley of the shallow of death, the, the outside things coming in. But this week's depths are coming from not an external space, but as we look at the psalm, internally. The poet seems to be addressing their own iniquities, their own sin. What threatens their own well-being is actually their unfaithfulness and rebellion against God. And indeed, he talks about the corporate sin of the people of Israel as well. Psalmist says it this way, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? He's saying, I can't. I suppose he's asking, who could stand innocent in front of you? It's more like a rhetorical question. If you, were, if you, God, were to take notes of all my sins, all my failures, all the times that I put an idol in your place, all the times where I knew better, where I've messed up, where I made a mess of things, where I said something wrong to someone out of anger, where I did something on my own strength off my own back, God, you're going to need a really big notebook and you're going to have to write real small. Because all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us can stand innocently. I sort of said corporate sin as well. And we, the church, the church, not just Kilsai South Baptist, the church, I think have been reaping the pitfalls of the sin of the church over the, the many, many years. Uh, I don't know if you've come across the podcast, Faith on Trial. Um, it's getting probably worldwide recognition at the moment. Um, it's one of the most famous churches in the world, Hillsong, uh, gets run through the mill. Where do people get their opinions about the church? From the media's unveiling of the failures of the church. And I think that's sad because the church does so much good in community in the life of people, in the faith of people. Yes, the church has a lot to answer for, and we are seeking to reach the people beyond where we are. But we need to make sure that we're not just being, I suppose, happy with where we're at. We need to acknowledge that there'll be some people that just won't step foot inside the church because of things that they've heard, rightly or wrongly. The church is on trial. And that's why we need to make sure that all volunteers have got their checks in place. All uh, screening checks need to be done. All the forms need to be done. All working with children's checks needs to be done. It's all got to be done really well so that we as a church may be honouring of God. As a church, we need to be able to cry out to God. May his ears be attentive to the cry of the church. But then I think the psalmist really sort of comes back to his own personal sin. I wonder, I wonder if we don't do that enough. I wonder if we've stopped crying out to God, not because we don't believe God is not able to rescue us, not because we don't believe that God is very real and very present to us, 
But I wonder if we stop crying out to God because we've actually become desensitized to the sin in our own life, to what actually sin is. It's like when you get into the, the pool, uh, when you go into a pool at, at, the, at the local pool or in, in a backyard or whatever, who are divers in? Who just, just go and take the plunge? Who does that? No one? Who just gets in toe first? A little bit toe first, a little bit foot first, all right, the other foot's in, all right, I'm down on my knees. Yeah, I've got a few of them. So no divers, interesting. <laughs> so I reckon some of the kids would do it. My kids do that. They just, just jump on in. Um, it's, it's a little bit like that though, isn't it? You get, you get up to your knees and you say, oh, it's okay, it's not too bad, it's tedious, but it's manu- uh, manageable because you're starting to become desensitised to the cold that is around your body. You warm up to what's there. So you can end up being in the pool without the bite of the cold. But you might see the application that I'm trying to make. When you slowly creep into sin, whatever that might be, you can end up believing after a while that while you're surrounded, you're surrounded by it, it's not that bad. You can be surrounded by sin without even realising it. There's a line in The Usual Suspects, a movie. Uh, it's taken from a French poet, Charles Baudelaire. It says, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. The psalmist's lament and cries offer, offers us the opportunity to reflect on our own response to our own sin. I wonder when the last time you sensed that your sin has plunged you into a depth that threatened, and caused, threatened you and caused you to cry out to God. We often think it's when the external forces come in on us or external things happen to us that we go, God, rescue us. But when was the last time you thought about it as what you're, what's going on in you? I wonder if we've become so desensitized to sin that we no longer see it as a threat to our spiritual being. We no longer can see where it takes over us or how it impacts our physical and mental loads. Do we forget that it's our, our sin, our very sin, our capacity to turn our back on God that makes it feel as though God's not present with us? The psalmist also, he, he starts with what seems like a demand. Hear my voice, God. He recognises that he doesn't actually deserve God to hear his cry. He says, if you're to keep score of my sin, I'm not actually worthy of standing in front of you. And you know what? Our humanness, our, our, we, we probably keep little notebooks of wrongs that are done to us, don't we? Even when we forgive, perhaps sometimes we bring up the sins that have gone against us. But not for God. He doesn't even have a notebook for you. Only forgiveness. And we lead on to to the verses 4 to 6. Verse 4 says, "But, But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. The psalmist recognises that the forgiveness of God comes as, comes with, with forgiveness of God comes a reverent fear of God. We recognise that forgiveness is immediately, uh, immediately sorry, we recognise that, that forgiveness immediately comes at the cost of the cross. As we make our way towards Easter, 
We're reminded of the obedient life, the sacrificial death of Jesus, and we're brought afresh to a place of gratitude. Our response is to give ourselves back to God. But the psalmist sensed God's forgiveness was to come. And even in the confident sort of space that he talks about, he says, I'm willing to wait for that. I mightn't see it straight away. I mightn't understand it straight away. But he says, I will wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. We humans are a bit of an impatient bunch, aren't we? (laughs) We've worked out ways to make sure that we don't have to wait for things anymore. We once thought that a telephone with a cord was a great way of being able to communicate because it was instant. We could get onto the people that we love that were far away away. But now we've got phones that we can see each other as well. We no longer send letters to each other. When was the last time you might have sent a letter in the mail? We don't send it. Well, my generation probably doesn't, and definitely the younger generations. A good exercise to know if you've sent a letter recently is to see what, what's, um, how, what price the stamp is that's sitting in the back of your wallet. Um, I pulled out a 65-cent stamp at one stage. <laughs> how long ago was that? Does anyone know what the stamp costs nowadays? $1.10. There you go, $1.10. I think it's actually gone up to $1.20. <laughs> this is what I saw on the internet, but who knows? The internet can... I got the instant sort of thing of the internet to tell me I didn't go to a shop because I wanted it now. <laughs> we want that instant, uh, instant thing, don't we? We're impatient. We don't like to wait. We have to answer the text when we hear the phone ping. We have to respond to an email as soon as it comes. What do we used to do when we didn't have phones or emails or whatever else we use nowadays? We want things done now. And sometimes we include God into the hurried space and we say, Come on, God, we need you now. As if we expect to God, that, that God's sort of on our payroll, that God, you should be doing this for me. But waiting is a profound spiritual discipline. Elijah, he waited until he heard the voice of God in the gentle wind. It might have been easy to assume to see God in the great powerful wind that came through. It would have been easy to, to take the earthquake as God's sign to him. Perhaps the fire could have been a significant way of, of noticing God. Indeed, God led his ancestors around the desert by fire. Yet Elijah, he waited. He waited to hear God, not in the discomfort that was going on around him, but through the soft, gentle voice. Waiting is an acknowledgement that Christ... Rather than our own longing or our own ego is actually Lord of our lives. It says that God's time might be different to my time. You know, and it doesn't always fit with my fast-paced, self-serving time frames. And the psalmist says, we need to wait. He emphasizes it in verse 6. He says, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. If you've ever waited up all night to get a glimpse of the first glow of sunrise, that wait can take forever. Or if you've woken up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you can't get back to sleep, you're thinking, when's the sun going to come up? Your eyes are droopy and the time just seems to stand still. But the longing to see that, that pink and orange glow start to shine through. The danger of the darkness finishing for another, another night. The psalmist, he repeats this line for emphasis. 
It was somewhat unusual to repeat a line um, verbatim, I suppose, in the Psalms. The Psalms use repetition, but um, throughout the Psalm sort of emphasizes the main point. We might expect the writer to, to somewhat alter words a little bit, to give the same meaning but slightly change it. For example, God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in time of need. Same sort of focus, just different words. Yet here, the repetition brings a great emphasis. He says, uh, more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. I, I remember the night when uh, I was, what, three years ago maybe, uh, my appendix decided it wasn't going to work uh, the right way anymore. I started to feel pretty unwell in the, um, well, it was sort of going on sort of the, the night before. It was a Friday night. I'd gone to bed and I had this pain in my, my belly. It felt just horribly sick. If you ever had appendicitis, you feel horribly sick, don't you? <laughs> and, and the night just seemed to go on and on. I couldn't sleep. I reckon that was the longest night of my life. And in time of pain and trouble, sometimes those nights just feel drawn out and drawn out. But through it, through those long nights, we can still hope. We can still have a great hope that God's forgiveness is actually worth the wait and that God's mercy and love actually will prevail. And this is where we come to the third part, the hope. In verses 7 to 8, the psalmist moves through the cry into the waiting anticipation of forgiveness and finally finds this great hope in God and invites the nation of Israel into that same hope. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. I cry out because of my sin. I recognize that God's forgiveness is mine. So together we can hope in God. Why put our hope in the Lord? Because the psalmist goes on to say, For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. The psalmist recognizes that the love and redeemed life that is lived for, for the forgiveness of sin is worth living for. God's character is unchanging. God is unfailing. That even when we stray and we go our own way, God is love. God remains love. Always will be love. So the writer does the math and calculates that God, who is rich in love and mercy, will redeem his people. And the final verse reminds us that this is only what God can do. Not ourselves, not the nation. This is only what God can do. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. It is only God. It's the whole reason why the psalmist continues to cry out from his depths. His despair, because the depths of our mess, God hears our cry and reaches out and lifts us up. It's not in our own strength. We can't do it. It's not by becoming better or striving to do goodera. Goodera. Gooder. Better. Not good. Good. You just need to have it good, don't we? <laughs> we can't do it. We can't do it. It's because God hears the voice of his people. God loves his people, and God redeems his people. But what gets in the way of us accepting that mercy? Psalm 130 hits at something we all wrestle at, because we all wrestle with sin. We can't sit here looking around at the people around us, the people next to you, thinking, well, at least I'm not like them. They're category one sinners. I'm category four, a bit lower than them. We're all in the same boat. We really are. 
And that sin causes darkness, this separation or seeming separation from God. Darkness, depths that the psalmist talks about. It might be the times of darkness that stop you seeing God's mission that's sitting right in front of you. It stops you from seeing the mercy of God for you. It desensitizes you to the outworking of sin in your life and the presence of God in your life. And you sit there and you think, I'm just not going to cry out anymore because I can't hear anyway. Or maybe you're just tired of crying out to God. The night's not turned into day for longer than you can remember. You can't remember the forgiveness of God. You know in your mind that God redeems, but it's been a long time and you're waiting. If we flip into John chapter 11, it's a reminder that God hears. See, John chapter 11 is the story of Jesus that raises his dear friend Lazarus from the dead. We hear twice that Jesus was grieving the loss of his friend. And we get that beautiful verse that says in John 11:35, Jesus wept. And the Jews watching, they all saw this as an action of love towards his friend. And in verse 38 of John chapter 11, it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. There's a real sense of sadness that comes, that has overcome Jesus. This sense of grief. And in the midst of his grief, he weeps and he grieves. Jesus is taken to the tomb and asks for the stone to be taken away. Lazarus has been there for three days. He's warned, it's going to be smelly. It's not going to be great. And they took the stone away. And in John 11.41, it tells us that Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I find it interesting we don't hear Jesus' prayer. We don't hear him say any words in the weeping. Yet Jesus looks to his Father and says, Thanks for listening. Thanks for hearing me. Jesus knows his Father intimately. He knows that his Father hears the cries of his people. And in Jesus' grief, the Father listens. Jesus cries for his friend Lazarus, and his Father hears his voice. He calls for Lazarus to come out, and Lazarus hears the voice of Jesus. God answers the cries, and it's a beautiful moment. You know, in Scripture, we hear of Jesus crying three times, only three times. Here, where he weeps for his great friend. On Palm Sunday, so next, next week, as Jesus approaches the city of Jerusalem, Jesus weeps over the city. And I get the feeling he's weeping for the people that have gathered before him, weeping for a city that has no idea about what is going to happen. Tears for the people, for who you and I are. They're all in the dark. And in the book of Hebrews, we're also told that during, during the last days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. That's in Hebrews 5, verse 7. You know, that that image of the Hebrews verses there gives me an image of Jesus in the garden offering up uh, a prayer, offering sweat drops of blood as he prays for the finality of the cross to be taken from him. If there's some other way to save the people... May we do it that way because this is going to be painful. Not just because it's going to hurt, but the bearing of everyone's sin is going to hurt more. I wonder if there's one more cry, though. 
a cry that takes the last breath of Jesus altogether. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And with one more cry, Jesus breathed his last. And like the psalmist, Jesus cries out in the darkness, the weight of my sin heaped on his shoulders. Not his sin, my sin. My mess, my pride, my arrogance, my brokenness. And in Jesus' darkness, he cries out, not on his own behalf, on my behalf, on your behalf. The psalmist, he reveals God's character of longing forgiveness in the darkness. Jesus, in the darkness, proves forgiveness to all of us by dying on the cross. He finalizes it, though, on the resurrection. This morning, wherever you may be on your spiritual journey, and I know we'll be all over the spot, I want you to not stop crying out to God because he's already cried out on your behalf. Cry out to, you, to him. Ask him to release you from the, the clutches of sin. Cry out to him to reveal himself to you as you approach the cross this Easter. Cry out from the depths and wait for the forgiveness that comes from our God, who knows the darkness, who knows the depths, and he rises out of it again. I want to finish with a poem that I found by a poet named Christina Joy Holmes. And it sums up the tears of Jesus for his people. And I really thought this was great. So let me read this to you. I might invite the band to come back up as I read this. I ask the Lord to give me love, his love for souls in sin. Instead, he gave me weeping eyes, a broken heart within. I asked him why he gave me tears. He took me back in time to when my Saviour lived on earth when, I, when he was in his prime. I saw him go to where his friend was laying in a grave. The sisters and their friend were grieved. What love to them he gave. You see, my saviour standing there was also grieved that day. He wept great heaving tears with sobs till those who could, he saw could say, Behold, we see now how he loved. His tears reveal his heart. His love was evident through tears. I saw God's point in part. And then he took me to the day where people hailed their king. While Jesus enters to the cheers, the children ran and sing. But when he saw Jerusalem stretched out before his eye, his soul was moved with grief for them. It moved his heart to cry. Oh, as I read those solemn words, I feel that they are sweet. For in them I behold his love so perfect, so complete. To one more place he took me now. At midnight I behold, the Son of God bowed down with grief, in deepest sorrow held. I heard his weeping, strong and deep, but through it I discerned. He prayed for me, it melted me, his love for me I learned. With tearful joy, oops, computers died. Sorry, I've got the last verse. With tearful joy, I thank the Lord for answering my prayer. 
for giving me his love for souls, his tears, his heart, his care. Let me pray. Now, Lord, we give you thanks that your tears were shed for us, that you love us so much, that you're willing to forgive as we cry out to you. May we this morning be a people who don't stop crying out to you, seeking you, seeking your forgiveness and finding great hope. We thank you that you love us. Amen.